Coming up on today's Locked On Bucks, we take a look back at the last few games here, recapping the Bucks' bounce back win over the Charlotte Hornets. It brought us the debut of Pat Beverly. We dig into that. The latest on Chris Middleton and some of the comments that I know Bucks fans were very, very nervous about yesterday. So we'll dig into all of that and take a look at this defense and where we've seen the improvement for 10 games now. Maybe not the largest sample size, but a large enough sample size. We'll get into all of that coming up next on Locked on Bucks. You are Locked on Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Bucks. I'm Justin Garcia here with you. You can hear me as well on the Bucks Radio Network as you can tonight as the Bucks host the Denver Nuggets. First of a back-to-back, Bucks and the Nuggets, and tomorrow night, Bucks and the Heat. We'll get into those matchups in just a moment. We thank you, as always, for making Locked on Bucks your first listen each and every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts and viewable on YouTube as well. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's Locked on Bucks is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com. Slash locked on NBA. That's LinkedIn.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I mentioned uh, the Bucks with that big, much needed bounce back win over the Charlotte Hornets on Friday night. And it was exactly what you had hoped to see, as we've used this term quite a bit on uh, this show on the radio network anywhere. Uh, and that is bounce back, the get right game. It's what you hoped for, and it's what you got with a 36-point margin of defeat against the Charlotte Hornets. So you've now beat the Hornets by 31 points on the road in the in-season tournament, 36 points at home. This one a little bit different as uh, quite a few players were out for the Charlotte Hornets by way of injuries and by way of trades that they were still going through the pending deals. But as I mentioned, the get-right aspect of this Sometimes you just need that. You need to show up and have a game like that and win, regardless of who's on the floor, the way that the Bucs did on Friday night. Uh, because, look, if the Bucs had won that game, but it was a close one, especially considering everybody that was missing for the Charlotte Hornets, it's a much different conversation that we're currently having. But that wasn't the case. It was a get-right game in many, many ways. Now, you did see a couple of things to nitpick here, and that was – some foul trouble by Giannis that prematurely ended his night. A nice enough game from Damian Lillard, who finished with 26 points. And by the way, I pointed this out on uh, on Twitter, on the radio broadcast as well. It is the 23rd time now that Damian Lillard has scored 26 or more points in a game. We're all familiar with the 0-5 record the Bucks have in games that Dame misses. But he has now scored 26 or more in a game with the Bucks 23 times. The Bucs are 21-2 and two in those 23 games. So, uh, yes, it's pretty obvious you need Damian Lillard on the floor with that 0-5 record in games that he's missed, especially when you consider how this team was adjusted to no longer be that we're going to win with our defense and we got Giannis. They're an offensive team, and it's we're going to win with our offense. Maybe it's shifting towards we're going to win with our defense coming up with stops, but we're an offensive team. You take out Damian Lillard, that's a big absence. But – 
we've talked about this quite a bit since the coaching change, and I think that 26 number is important because we've heard Doc Rivers talk at length about maybe not saying this quite so bluntly, but but really mentioning, um, if you read between the lines, that he needs Damian Lillard to really get going, to optimize Damian Lillard. Think about the same things we said about Giannis. We heard Mike Budenholzer say about Giannis before he took the job that you can kind of sense that's what Doc Rivers is looking for here. And you even go back to before that game against the Hornets and some of his comments uh, to the media talking about things that they can address with having both of those guys on the floor, things that'll change. He pointed out the two-man game, which everybody has pointed to, haven't seen enough of it, right? When the per-game basis, the number of two-man actions that we're seeing from Damon Giannis that we all thought would be unguardable, it has. It's It's been very, very good. You just haven't seen a high volume of it. Doc Rivers himself talked about that on Friday before the Hornets game and said, look, we haven't seen a ton of it. We're getting better at it, and I, I do like what we've seen. I feel like that has worked. But the biggest thing for Doc is you know finding that balance to not take the ball out of Giannis's hands per se, and he addressed this because you know, Giannis's playmaking has continued to improve year after year. You think about the numbers that he's posting this year as well, and you think about some of the relatively low assist figures that he's had recently in the game against the Hornets on Friday, just three assists in that game um, for Giannis. And, uh, you know, we've seen some high volume assist games of late, but it really comes down to shots. He had seven assists against the Timberwolves the night prior. Part of that was the defense of the Timberwolves, but Giannis's assist numbers to me, uh, what's most impressive about them is the fact that it has been, I know we talk about the offense being good and this being a good offensive team now, but it's been an up and down offense as we've seen for peaks and valleys throughout this season. And there's been a lot of missed shots that Giannis has uh, had to deal with. So that to me is even more impressive when you think about the assist numbers of 6.3 assists per game for Giannis, right up there with Damian Lillard in terms of the team leaders, but the highest of his career as well and you know we've talked about the efficiency numbers 61 percent give or take that Giannis is still shooting from the field uh this season 65 percent on his two-point attempts highest of his career there as well it's no coincidence and even the effective field goal percentage of 62 percent that he has this year also would be a career high all of this to me speaks to Damian Lillard and the gravity that Damian Lillard has brought to this team the attention that Damian Lillard pulls, even if, as there has been some some complaints, and man, I'm really kind of expected more from Damian Lillard offensively. We may not have seen the offensive version that Damian Lillard was in Portland, at least not yet. But again, you brought Damian Lillard in for the playoffs and for how that offense is going to be transformed and how it's going to be better in the half court once you get into the postseason because of his ability to make a tough shot. Chris Middleton, we'll get to him in much more detail in just a bit. Chris Middleton has looked very, very good as well uh, this season, especially on the offensive end of the floor. The, the numbers may not jump off the page, but again, with Chris, it's the efficiency, and that's a Damian Lillard trait or, or impact, I should say, as well. When you think about the space that Giannis is getting to operate when you have Damian Lillard, to a lesser extent, Malik Beasley connecting on threes at the volume that he has, as well 
but it's just that attention that you have to pay to Damian Lillard. We would see defenses in the past building those walls and doing everything they could, loading up to stop Giannis and saying, look, if Chris Middleton beats us, we know he can, but fine, Chris is going to have to beat us. Or Drew Holiday. That's a tougher sell when it's Damian Lillard that you're talking about. You add in Malik Beasley and his shooting. And the fact that Chris Middleton is now the third option, it has just increased all of the space for Giannis to work with. And that's led to what to me seems like. He may not be an MVP this season, although that is a conversation that's going to be had as the season progresses. This really does seem like it's been the best season of Giannis's career to be navigating everything that this team has gone through in terms of two coaching changes now, one in the season, uh, learning a new teammates in Damian Lillard and one as impactful in figuring out how to play with and play off of Damian Lillard. More teammates as well, like Malik Beasley and what he's brought, knowing that his, his defensive asks are going to be different this year than it was in seasons past and just taking what comes to him. That's been the most impressive thing that you've noticed about Giannis is the Giannis of four years ago, he'd force things, and you would see more charges. Now, I know I mentioned the five fouls that he got into in foul trouble against the Hornets the other night, but Giannis has really let this game come to him this season. You haven't seen him forcing things. You've seen him trusting the pass. It helps when you have Malik Beasley knocking down 50% of threes, when you got Damian Lillard out there, when Chris Middleton is your third option. But that's been the maturation and the growth of Giannis. But back to the Dame point and how those two fit together. You know, I, I think it's very telling some of the things that we have heard from Doc Rivers and how he's really looking to get Damian Lillard going here. Early in the season, we saw Dame shifting to play in the entire first and third quarters because that was something he did in Portland. He brought it up to Adrian Griffin and said, you know, I think this will help me get going. It did in the short term. That's right around the time that we saw that boost from Dame in uh, mid-November. Um, but we've seen that change recently as well with Doc Rivers as he's pointed to. Look, I understand that, but I, I want you for when we get to late in the quarter and in the penalty, and I'd rather rest you at the midpoint or earlier in that quarter to have you there. So that's one of the adjustments you've seen. Another one, is, as Doc has called for, is you know I know Giannis – is a terror with the ball and everything we just went through with his efficiency and his passing. But I do feel like this offense will be better if we get the ball into Dame's hands more often. And Doc even called out in transition. And I know Giannis leads the break. He is terrifying when he's the guy that's leading the charge there, bringing the ball down the floor with a numbers advantage. But as Doc said, I think he is even more terrifying when he's coming down the floor without the ball. When you have Damian Lillard leading the fast break, with the ball in his hands and knowing we've got to account for Giannis, who's rolling to the rim, and we also have to keep an eye on Damian Lillard, who can pull up anywhere past the logo and knock down a three. So that's one of the things that Doc Rivers has hinted at of, you know, we got to get the ball in Dame's hands. I want Dame to start the breaks more, even when we're taking the ball out of the net. Let's get the ball into Damian Lillard's hands. And I do think you're going to see more of those 26-point games and more of the optimized offense with Damian Lillard going forward. The big thing, and this is the challenge for Doc Rivers, for Dave Yeager, for everybody on the staff, is how do we do that without it coming at the expense of Giannis and how he's playing this season? That's the difficult part to try to figure out how do we work in both of these guys playing at their best because that is absolutely the version of this team you are going to need when we get into the postseason. Now, we talked about the offense quite a bit there, but there is some more to point out. I do want to touch on the defense because we've we've long cautioned sample size is important. 
and even went out of our way to point out, look, it's only been five, six, eight games since this change. You're, you're liking what you see in terms of the eye test and the numbers. We've now reached 10 games. Is that enough? Maybe not, but it's a lot more. And I've referenced the Billy Donovan example of some coaches do view the season in 10-game segments. We're at that number now. So what stands out about this Bucks defense since the coaching change? We'll get into that conversation coming up next on Locked on Bucks. Well, time to talk to you about LinkedIn. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. They make hiring easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. That's because LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. Two and a half million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. That is linkedin.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And as you well know, Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. You can also find it on Amazon Fire TV. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top stories of the day with all the local experts you've come to expect from Locked On, plus our national shows that cover every single league and a lot to cover these days. A recap of the NFL season, a recap of the NBA trade deadline. You got the All-Star break coming up. You just had the All-Star break in the NHL and now an upcoming trade deadline there. Before you know it, Major League Baseball is here as well. So a lot to cover in those leagues on Locked On Today. Find the Locked On Sports Today channel on Amazon Fire TV. All right, defense, let's let's get into it because 10 games, and I'll, I'll preface once more that 10 games doesn't dictate everything that we're seeing here, but it is a little bit more of a sample size that you feel comfortable referencing. I mentioned it in passing before too, but you know Billy Donovan is the coach that you'll hear most often uh, of the Chicago Bulls, talking about 10-game sample sizes for his team and assessing from one 10-game stretch to the next, what did we see? Where did the growth come from? What do we need to work on, uh, et cetera? So we've reached that 10-game point right now with this Bucks team. Now, if, if we zoom out and take a look at the overall numbers here, the Milwaukee Bucks have the 17th-rated defense in the league, which two, three, four weeks ago, hard to imagine with the way that the month of January started – for the longest time, we pointed to since November 3rd, here's what this uh, team looks like. Here's the numbers defensively. And then you got to January, and those numbers all went south very, very quickly. The Bucks dropped down to 22nd, maybe even lower, um, in their overall defensive efficiency. So now they sit at 17th. 
and there's still a decent amount back of the Chicago Bulls, who are 16th. Bucks have a 116.1 defensive rating. Bulls have a 114.9. But if you can get into that conversation and you can join that group because you have the Bulls sitting at 16, the Phoenix Suns, who I have long maintained, that is the type of team you should be striving for those comparisons to if you're the Bucks. When you look at the way they're constructed defensively, they have some okay pieces. Uh, so do the Bucks. The Bucks have some good defensive pieces, but you should really be striving for that type of defense. Even the 76ers, right? Especially this version of the 76ers without Joel Embiid. So 16 is the Bulls, 15 is the Phoenix Suns, who are about a point and a half per 100 possessions better than the Bucks are right now. The Lakers are 14. The Denver Nuggets, who we've mentioned quite a few times, who the Bucks play tonight. When you look back at last year, and was this the blueprint? The Denver Nuggets are currently 13th in defensive efficiency. And then you get up to the Clippers, who only a tenth of a point per 100 possessions separating they, them and the Nuggets. But the Clippers are certainly trending upward. So if you can crack that, you're all of a sudden in the conversation, right? You put together another very good 10-game stretch here, and you're moving up, and you're moving closer and closer to the top half and better than the top half in the league. So if we just, for comparison's sake, and I know it's a lot more games in one of them than the other, but take a look at where this team was prior to this shift. On January 23rd, as the day wrapped up, the Bucks had a 116.8 defensive rating. That was 21st in the NBA. Uh, the teams behind the Bucks or, or in the neighborhood of the Bucks, I should say, the Portland Trailblazers who were 12 and 31 at that point, the Utah jazz who were a 500 team, the warriors who we poured over their struggles, 18 and 22 at that point, the San Antonio Spurs, the Atlanta Hawks, a team that has really, really struggled. Then you had the Pacers who were the one outlier team just because of how elite their offense is the bucks offense right up there uh, as well. When you look at offensive efficiency, a 120.6 through that stretch, uh, but a 116.8 defensive rating. So all told, you had the 21st rated defense and the second rated offense. That graded out to the 10th best net rating at 3.8. It didn't really strike a whole lot of optimism. You got the sense that this team was winning basically on talent alone, that Giannis was having some monster games. We pointed to some of those big Damian Lillard games as well. Yes, this team was good in the clutch. Those numbers did start to tail off a little bit those last couple of weeks, but it really did seem like this team is winning by way of their talent. So what's changed? Well, in the 10 games played um, since that coaching change, the Bucks defense is currently rated eighth at a 113.4. So basically three points per 100 possessions better on defense than they were previously. Now the offense has taken a step back. It's a 115.1 offensive rating. That's good for 17th. So you have almost swapped your offense and your defense in this 10-game stretch. But I do think it's worth pointing out a couple of things. You know, Number one, how this defense improved, uh, to me, is simple. And, and Doc Rivers has kind of talked about this as well, in that when he took over, the thought wasn't, okay, we're putting in everything I want to run. Here's here's Rex Kalamian. We're going to do this defensively. Then we're going to do that. Dave Yeager is here for offense. We're going to set up a couple of drills. We're going to go through this, this, and this in practice. He said from the onset, you know, 
because of where we are in the season, because we didn't have a training camp to install this, you don't want to overwhelm the guys. J.J. Redick has talked about this. A lot of former players will mention this as well, and Doc made the point of the moment it becomes mental in that you're thinking about, wait a minute, where is my coverage? Do I have to get here? Do I have to get to the weak side? Am I the helper here? You lose a step, maybe even more than a step, and you're beat, and you can't recover from that. So you don't want to make this a mental game defensively and get those guys losing a step and caught thinking about where should I be. You're just going to take what you're currently doing and how do we supplement? How do I implement some of my things and layer that onto what we're doing? The biggest thing is what do we clean up and what do we fix? And to me, that is what stands out the most for this team since the coaching change is they've cleaned up or are well on their way to cleaning up, I should say, all of the obvious ones that we pointed to, you know, rebounding. In fairness, rebounding was trending upward prior to the coaching change that the Bucs made. But rebounding has certainly been much, much better for this Bucs team of late. Going into the Hornets game, the Bucs were, were rated 21st in defensive rebounding percentage prior to the coaching change. So, again, the one up to 123 numbers versus the 124 and onward numbers. So through January 23rd, Bucks 21st in defensive rebounding, dead last in percentage of possessions that resulted in a turnover by their defense, and, um, and 21st in defensive efficiency. In the games played since that change, what stands out to me is a couple of things. Number one, again, rebounding had started to get better, but especially on the defensive glass, they have gotten much better there. They have cleaned up transition. Right. And I think that is certainly tied to one another. They've been better on the offensive glass as well. Transition was really seemingly the lowest hanging fruit that you said, look, you don't have to be the best transition defense, but if you can just get to a league average transition defense here, we do feel like that's going to be a huge impact for this team and push things forward. They've done that. They've cleaned up their defensive rebounding even more than, than in the past because I point that out, I should say, because we think back to the huge, huge games we had seen the opposition put up in terms of their points in the paint. The Bucs are the sixth best team on the defensive glass since this coaching change. So you went from, I think I said 21st before, it was actually 18th. So you went from 18th to 6th just by emphasizing, let's get to the offensive glass. Part of that is not having players out of position. I think a big part of that is you think back to how often Giannis was having to play on the perimeter with the way that this defense was set up. The point of attack defense, too. It's not just Giannis and Brooke Lopez. It's anybody that can help. And the Bucs have had some good rebounding guards come through here. But you're taking them further away from the action and from the basket when you're defending as far out on the perimeter as the Bucs were. That didn't give Brooke Lopez a whole lot of help. And people, again, will point to his rebounding numbers and say, well, is he really that good? No, Brooke Lopez is designed to create those rebounding opportunities for his team. When he's doing that and nobody's around the basket, that's when you see the offensive rebounds for the opponent really start to jump. That led to points in the paint as well, and that just continued to put the Bucs in a large hole. So they've cleaned that part of their game up. They've been the sixth-best team on the defensive glass since this coaching change was made, and that, to me, is the most striking thing of all of this. Their, their offensive rebounding hasn't been good but again you either do it or you don't and it depends on the coaches are we going to emphasize getting back in transition or attacking the offensive glass 
I haven't examined it too closely, but I would assume part of this is Doc Rivers' strategy of let's get back in transition and continue to build that up and give it some help. But the striking thing to me is when you look at the four factors, which anybody will point to to say, okay, how is this team going from one point to the next? Effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, offensive rebounding rate, and your free throw rate. So in other words, how efficient are you shooting the ball? How frequently or infrequently, hopefully for your offense, are you turning the ball over? How many offensive rebounds are you getting and creating those second chance opportunities? And how much are you getting to the free throw line? And vice versa for your defense as well. You don't want to put them at the line. You don't want to give them offensive rebounds. You do want to force turnovers and you want a low effective field goal percentage. The Bucs are in the middle of the pack now defensively in all four of those metrics since this coaching change was made. 14th in opponent effective field goal percentage. 14th in turnover rate, which again, they were dead last. And now they're up to the middle of the pack, just better than league average. Sixth best on the uh, defensive glass. And 15th in free throw rate. So they're not fouling as much as they were before, which is huge to take some of those points off the board as well. So we've mentioned low-hanging fruit quite a bit, but it really does seem as though in the interim of this coaching change, it's been Doc Rivers saying, let's just take care of this low-hanging fruit. We'll attack that, and we'll get better, and then we continue to build on that stuff. And look, we pushed it up to 17th. We think we're going to keep pushing it up. Maybe we can finish the season 12th, 13th, somewhere around there, but we're going to make these subtle growths just by doing these easy things, grabbing that low-hanging fruit, and then we'll start to work on some stuff to see an even larger jump. That's what we've seen in these 10 games so far for the Bucs. I will get to the offense in the next break, but I, I do want to point out some more of the defense before we get to that. Six of these 10 games that the Bucs have played, we know about the schedule and how challenging it's been. Six of the 10 games have been against teams with a top 10 net rating. The Bucs are 2-4. and four in those games not terrible not great three and three would have been nice four and two would have been better but they're they're two and four in those games and the defense is held up it, it's not just yeah well the bucks you know you look at that hornets game and what they did look at the tougher games in those six games against the top 10 teams 116.4 defensive rating that would be 10th best in the league during that stretch so it, it matches the eye test and the numbers back up everything that we're seeing with this uh, Bucks team here. A lot of comments on the buyouts. We can touch on that in a moment, but I do want to mention Patrick Beverly and Chris Middleton because there's a lot of chatter about Chris Middleton. The offense as a whole, too, That's that's been, uh, not to say the misrepresented, but we'll point out, hey, the defense is looking good. I've seen a few people mention to me as well. Yeah, well, the offense, not so much. Why aren't we mentioning that? We will take a look at the offense what the biggest issue has been for that group since the coaching change, the debut of Pat Beverly, and more on the final segment of uh, Locked On Bucks coming up after the break. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? You ever wonder what adventure could be around the corner? Well, our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. You got the 2024 Nissan Rogue. It is perfect for city drivers or great escapes. Class exclusive Google built-in is your always updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Gone are the days of connecting your phone because Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch 
high-def touchscreen infotainment system. The 2024 Nissan Rogue is the perfect midsize crossover for your next adventure. And Nissan's incredible lineup also includes the 2024 Nissan Armada. It will change what you expect from a full-size SUV. Picture a rugged 4x4 that can seat up to 8 in first-class luxury and style. Tow bigger and explore further in the 2024 Nissan Armada. Take the Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. All right, so I, I, I do want to point out the offense because I was, I was talking about it on Twitter a little bit yesterday. I saw a few people say, well, what about the offense? Um, the offense has not been elite since this coaching change. Uh, that is fair. The offense has been in the middle of the pack from this point forward. Um, if we look at cleaning the glass, we gave you um, where this offense ranks since January 24th in, in – um, in the NBA stats at a 115.1 offensive rating, 17th best in the league. So your defense has been much better. Eighth best defense, 17th best offense. If you, you use cleaning the glass and look at the offense, um, it stays the same 17th best offense with about a 117 rating. When you take out the a garbage time defense, a little bit worse, um, ninth best versus eighth, but the number is better at a, a 115.1 taking out that garbage time um i'm not going to sit here and say hey it's the defense has been great there's nothing to worry about with the offense i think there are some things to file and say okay it it, it looks clunky at times part of that again is changing things i know we said it's not wholesale changes at least not yet but there's some incremental changes that you're making and different sets that you're running doc did say look they're running a lot of the same sets that's been easy for why don't we call this play um, but he's leaned heavily on Joe Prunty, as he's mentioned, for that offense and having Dave Yeager work with him. But look, in terms of digging into what do we see defensively versus offensively, the difficult part with the offense and what we've seen prior to the coaching change and since, other than Giannis, is you know everybody else and the guys that have not been on the floor that I, I don't think it's making an excuse to say, look, I, I know the offense hasn't been elite in these changes, Part of that is you have played some good teams and some good defenses. Two games against the Cavs, that's going to shrink anybody's uh, offense when you look at the schedule that the Bucs have played. Certainly, you had the Denver Nuggets, who, again, middle of the pack uh, defensively, but they certainly have that capability to play at a high defensive level. You got another game with the Denver Nuggets this evening as well. The Suns were a better defense than you. The Timberwolves, by the way, best defense in the league. So you have had some challenges in terms of the caliber of defenses that you've played during that stretch. But most importantly, you've essentially played five games. And tonight will be six without Chris Middleton. Uh, you played two of those games without Damian Lillard. You played three of those games without Brooke Lopez. One of those games was, at, was without, for all intents and purposes, any of those three guys. So I do think that is a challenging part to really make any assessment of what are we seeing from this defensive unit or offensive unit, I beg your pardon, when you don't have those guys, you're going to lean on heavily. I understand you can say, well, what about the defense? Look, the way the defense was playing and the level they were at, you just needed to see some growth. And there were some things that were frankly bad and horrendous that we were seeing from this defensive unit. You needed to see move forward, and they did. So 
I'm not overly concerned about where the Bucks are offensively yet, right? Um, once they get everybody back, then we're going to view the offense the same way and under the same lens we've used uh, we viewed this defense with for the last 10 games and going forward. But you got to have those guys on the floor, especially given this is an offensive team. Giannis is the playmaker. Giannis has the spacing from Damon Malik Beasley, but Giannis needs Chris Middleton and Damian Lillard and Brooke Lopez and all those guys on the floor in order for this offense to really click. So we need to see that. We're not going to see it tonight. You'll see most of it, but again, no Chris Middleton tonight. Um, not to make this just a throwaway, but I, I did see there was a decent amount of concern, it seemed like, from Bucks fans uh, yesterday after Doc Rivers addressed the media after a practice and provided uh, an update of sorts on Chris Middleton. Um, he, he talked about it after, I believe it was either the Hornets or the Timberwolves game, saying he's going to be out a minute. I can't tell you what a minute is. Uh, I, I don't know what that means, but I, I, I don't see him in the next couple for sure. So, look, I don't think anybody assumed we would see Chris Middleton before the All-Star break. It was somewhat encouraging that you saw the injury happen and you thought, oh, man, but he stayed on the floor. Okay, maybe it's not too bad. Then he exited and didn't return, and then we had the report that he left in a walking boot and crutches. Now, that does not mean it's a two- to three-month injury. It doesn't mean it's not, but it doesn't mean it's the worst-case scenario. I never thought we'd see Chris Middleton return before the All-Star break. I'm certainly not alone there. When you just think about, again, you're playing for May and hopefully June, not February and March and early April. You need Chris Middleton healthy to get there. It makes no sense, even if he's 80%, to have him play when you could basically get him a week and a half, a full week, uh, almost two weeks, going into the break, a week of the All-Star break, Maybe he misses some time a little bit afterwards as well. If it's a month-long injury that you're looking at for Chris Middleton, it may be. Again, if it's a month-long injury, where it where it occurred, where he suffered that on the calendar, is probably the best place for that to happen. Not in terms of the schedule that you had with the the amount of with the caliber of opponents that you had, but just the way the schedule breaks out, that's probably the best place for it to happen. If it's more than that, I, I think you only get really leery. If this is going to be a very, very lengthy injury, if this is going to be an eight-week injury or more, then you're a little more cautious of, okay, what does this mean for his timeline and for getting him back up to speed? Because that's the thing that we witnessed with Jay Crowder, too. It was not just getting Jay Crowder back on the floor. It was getting that version of Jay Crowder back. So just getting Chris Middleton healthy and back, that's the important part. Doc Rivers saying, I, I have no timeline on him again. I don't take that as the worst case uh, scenario or the worst news possible because with injuries like that, if you're going to wait for things to go down, maybe you don't know the severity just yet. Could be two weeks. It could be four weeks. It could mean it's bad, but it doesn't mean line is, hey, this is the worst case scenario for the Bucks. So uh, that's that's really the only update that we have tonight's game, but. It does seem that's going to be the only injury that the Bucs do have in this game tonight uh, against the Denver Nuggets. So Giannis and Dane both listed as probable. Chris Middleton is uh, listed as out. For the Denver Nuggets, Cantivius Caldwell-Pope is questionable with hamstring tightness. Michael Porter Jr. was on the injury report, though he is probable. 
Um, so a relatively healthy Denver Nuggets team as well. And it was a very good game last time these two teams faced off. So the rematch at home should be a good one once again, even though the Bucs have not had a whole lot of success against the Denver Nuggets uh, at home or on the road the last couple of years, really since the emergence of uh, Nikola Jokic. So a big one tonight. And again, it's it's part of this stretch the Bucs have had where they have played incredibly difficult teams. It doesn't let up either. You may catch a big break tomorrow with the Miami Heat, as I have not seen the latest. Um, but obviously, Jimmy Butler is away from the team. And then Terry Rozier left the game that the Heat played yesterday as well with an injury. So you may get a break there and that you're catching a shorthanded Miami Heat team. And then you wrap up the first half of the schedule with the Memphis Grizzlies on the road. And as we mentioned on the show last week, you already got one of them. That game against the Hornets and the game against the Grizzlies are two games that you certainly circle and say, look, we got to get these. You don't want to look past your opponent. You don't want to take them lightly. We get all that. But we got to get these with the schedule that's that's around us, with the Timberwolves, with the Denver Nuggets, with that five-game rotor that we just came off of. Coming out of the All-Star break as well, it's another challenging schedule for the Bucks When you open up that second-half schedule with the Minnesota Timberwolves, on the road, and then at the Philadelphia 76ers. You know you won't have Joel Embiid in that game, uh, but you may still have Tyrese Maxey and others to contend with before finally two more games with the Hornets to wrap up the month. So those three games against the Hornets in this Memphis Grizzlies uh, game, for everything on your schedule in this month of February, those are circle the calendar games of we got to get this one, and you got to be healthy. So we'll continue to monitor the offense and the progress that we see there as this offense gets more and more healthy. But my takeaway is you should be liking what you're seeing defensively from this unit. Uh, frustrating games for sure on that road trip. Overall, I liked what I saw in that five-game stretch, and I think really the Blazers game was the only game you left shaking your head saying, man, how did we not get that game? The others were understandable. Uh, losing the, the, the opener on the road in Denver with your new coach and against a Nuggets team, that is, Doc Rivers said after the game, you know, Giannis and Dame, those, those clutch situations, they've played in these together, what, 40 times, 30 times? Uh, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray have done it for years. So I think that one's understandable. As frustrating as it was in Utah, all things considered, the, the travel schedule the Bucs had, that was an understandable loss. Phoenix, with a lack of firepower that you had, that was understandable. It was really just Portland uh, that you left shaking your head on. So... I do like what we're seeing defensively from this team, and now it's just a matter of getting the same from your offense moving forward. We'll be back with the postgame show tonight to recap the Bucks and the Denver Nuggets and another one tomorrow. Again, a back-to-back -back tomorrow with the Miami Heats, the postgame show for that one as well. I believe the postgame tonight is going to be Camille and Frank, and the postgame for the Heat game will be myself and Frank, so stick around for those. And then your final game in that first half on the road in Memphis against the Grizzlies. So a lot to dig into here for the next couple of days on Locked on Bucks. My thanks to everybody for joining us on this show today. Um, got some other things planned for the All-Star break, which is just over, uh, just under a week away that Camille and I have been uh, discussing with a lot more interaction from you guys as well. So stay tuned for that. But the post-game recap of the Bucks and the Nuggets is your next show can find that tomorrow morning from Camille and Frank. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the live show today. We will talk to you once again tomorrow morning with more Locked on Bucks.